खिलाफत के अमी हम हैं अमानत हम संभालेंगे जो नेमत छिन वी बिलीव इन इक्वेलिटी ऑफ ह्यूमन बीइंग्स इन द रूल ऑफ लॉ एंड वी आर अगेंस्ट ऑल टाइप्स ऑफ ऑपरेशन वेलकम टू द एमकेए यूएसए वाइब रन बाय मजलिस कुदामल अहमदिया यूएसए America's oldest and largest Muslim male youth organization. We're here to share a weekly recap of the latest in Friday sermons, speeches, lessons from our respected imams and wisdom from different sources. Khalifa ke labon se jo gulo jo har bikharte أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر ويأمرون بالمعروف وينهون عن المنكر وينهون عن المنكر ويصارعون في الخيرات I have recited before you from chapter 3 verse 115 Allah Almighty says they believe in Allah and the last day and enjoin what is good and forbid evil and hasten vying with one another in good works and these are among the righteous the dars I would like to draw our attention to today is the topic of enjoining good and forbidding evil with every good deed you have to also remove an evil deed or in other words if you have a bad habit you replace it with a good habit otherwise it remains as a vacuum to illustrate a little bit about this let's go back in time and let's understand what commandments are how do we get good or bad habits to begin with The idea is that God Almighty instructs or guides or defines what is good or bad. This is the difference between us and atheists. Atheists do not have a moral compass because they don't have the source of all morality which is God Almighty. They cannot say what is good and what is evil. They cannot say whether killing somebody is good or evil because they do not have that compass. They cannot make that definition. But we as believers in God Almighty we know that the prophets of God came to this earth and guided us with what is good and what is evil. Let's go back in time about 4 5000 years ago and recall Hazrat Adam alayhi salam the first prophet of God in our lineage in our you know time. Hazrat Adam or Adam alayhi salam was commanded one very specific thing within the holy quran it says that he was commanded to tell the people to wear clothing that's a very simple thing we all wear clothing alhamdulillah there's nobody here who doesn't have any clothing but what's interesting is that if you go 5000 years ago just use your mind for a moment imagine when he was commanding his people wear clothing how absurd he must have sounded to them He's saying wear clothing and I said why? If we want to mate, we mate. We want to go 
take a bath, we bath. If we want to roll in, in mud, we can roll in mud. We can do whatever we want. Why should we wear clothing? He said, look, Allah wants us to become a society. In the society, there has to be something which is known as shame, sharam, right? Modesty has to exist in the society. Now just imagine what they must have been thinking. Modesty? What do you need that for? What is this concept you're introducing? And it was completely absurd to them. A very simple commandment that we all understand today. Nobody has to wake up in the morning and have to be reminded, please wear clothing today, right? We all know we have to wear clothing. And we know the implications of it, what it does. In fact, many of our Muslim you know, leaders within the women, women's community auxiliary, they always use this point. They said the more progressive we go, the more clothing we wear. So those who tell hijab, women who wear hijab, take off your hijab, they're going away from progression. Because if you look at any progression in the, you know, since the time immemorial, the more clothing we wore, the more progressive we were getting. Now again, small commandment, wear clothing. Another one we just mentioned just a few days ago during the morning Fajr Dars. I will give you a gist of it, but it's in Surah Baqarah verses around 70, 68, 70. And it talks about how Hazrat Musa was told to tell the Jews you are commanded to sacrifice a cow. Now, what was special about this cow? We all knew it, and the Jews did too. They knew that this was a specific cow that they were worshipping, or that they were idolizing. So Allah wanted them to sacrifice it so they could remove that kind of idol worship in their hearts. What was their response? I have a gist of it here, but to give you an idea. The first thing they say, first they say, are you making a joke of us? You want us to sacrifice a cow? Then they say, pray to your Lord, O Musa salam, so that Allah can tell us which cow this is that you speak of. Then he says, it's neither old nor young. It's between the two. Now do what you're commanded. Again, they say, no, no, Musa salam, we don't know which cow you're talking about exactly. Can you tell us what color it is? Then again, as Musa says, it is a cow of dun color, pure and rich in tone, and it's delighting to the beholders. <laughs> again, they say, please pray to Allah that we figure out which cow this is. And again, he says, it is a cow that is not broken to the plow, or plowing the earth, or watering the tilth. It is one without blemish of one color. He practically describes every aspect of this cow as if it's standing right in front of them. And then they say, oh, now you have brought us the truth. Then they slaughter the cow, and in the Quran it says, though they would rather not do so. So again, simple commandment, right? There's a cow, you're worshipping it. There's a God beyond this. Sacrifice the cow. Once you sacrifice it, you'll be free of this cow. But what did they do? They had one challenge after another. They kept saying, wait, which cow is it? Wait, what color is it again? Wait, what are you talking about? And again, of course, reluctantly, they sacrificed the cow. Now if we move forward in history, we go to the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. <laughs> we find that at that time in the Battle of Uhud, there were 50 soldiers under one leader who were told to stand in a specific hill 
Why? When they would stand there, they would hold the defense of the backside of the army so that nobody could attack them from the rear. And if they attacked them in that direction, it would be a two-front war. Very simple instruction, stand here, don't move. As the war began, the Muslims started to win. So much so that some of the Muslims had enough time to pick up the loot. Now this army of 50, they tell their leader, look, the war is over, they're picking up the loot. Let us go. And the leader says, no, remain seated here. Don't go anywhere, we have to stay here. The Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, has told us to stay here. And they say, listen, you're taking this way too seriously. The war is over. Look, let us go and pick up the loot. You're making us stand here for no reason. And again, he instructs them, no, you have to remain here. They say, you're taking this commandment way too seriously. It's already over. The commandment is over. Let us go. And again, without his approval, they went to take the loot. And right away, Khalid bin Walid, who was not Muslim at the time, realized there's our opportunity. He took in a small army of his own, and they had then a two-front war. And then it created huge chaos. Half of the army, Muslim army, was running away. Half of them were running in the wrong direction. So much so that around the Holy Prophet Muhammad, it was just a handful of people. And somebody even had the audacity to throw a rock at his face, and even he lost a tooth. And it was so dangerous at that moment that they could have, at some point, maybe even captured him. This is the condition. Why? Because 50 people thought the commandment is way too serious. Now let's go to something a little bit more of today's time. As you know, in 2009, towards the end, maybe 2010, Hazuri Anwar, our beloved Khalifa, gave a speech in, during his Friday sermon, in fact, and he said that, I have been informed that somebody has made a Facebook account with my name. He said, I had no idea that I have a Facebook account. He said, so much so, my angels didn't even know that there was a Facebook account open in my name. He said, so I've instructed them, and of course, they, they dealt with Facebook directly to remove it. Then Hazur added, Hazur said, I have already been instructing you, stay away from this Facebook. If you don't stay away from Facebook, there are dire consequences that you will face. So I want you to safeguard yourself then. <clears throat> now just to remember, this is 2019, that was 2010. In 2010, if you tell me there was even one person in the you know, scientific world who would say Facebook is evil or bad, you would surprise me. Because nobody thought it was a bad thing. They thought it was an amazing thing. You could not pinpoint one government official who would say, Facebook is dangerous for your data. They all said, no, they're safe, they're okay. While today, nine years later, both the scientific world has articles upon articles. Just write the bad effects of Facebook. You will find article upon article. And you ask the government, what do they do? They have all kinds of committees talking about data breaches. In fact, when Hazur was told that there was a data breach, and so many millions of people's data has been now shared with the wrong people. Hazur said, this is exactly what I was instructing my jamaat. Now those who listened, they were saved. Those who didn't, guess what? Their data is gone, God knows where, for the taking. Just to give you an idea, I just Googled, searched it. Very simple. What are the bad effects of Facebook? Number one, they said, it can make you feel like your life isn't as special or cool or good 
as everyone else's. B. It can lead you to envy your friends' successes. C. It can reveal information you might not want to share, especially with an employer. Now we know in the last 10 years, how many people, how many famous people have been fired because of things they have said on Facebook. And lastly, it can become addictive. You can be addicted to it. Now why I mention some of these things, as, I, as I've said that there are commandments that come, they define what is good and evil, but at the end of the day, once we put them into our practice, we put them into our life, those commandments, like wearing clothes, become part and parcel of our life. They become habits. It is habitual that you wake up every morning, you put clothes on. So that brings me to the next step. And Hazur actually highlighted this. Hazur said in one of his speeches in 2013, he says that there are families, there are people who will leave their, their families, their children, their wives for the sake of a creed. For the sake of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasul, just for the sake of a belief. Yet, those same people, it's sometimes harder for them to remove the habit of smoking, for example. They can leave their families, but when you tell them to get rid of a habit, it's very difficult for them. This brings us to the next topic I wanted to shed or talk about today, which is habits. How habits are formed, what defines a habit. And what are some habits that are good, and what are some bad habits? But just so you know, scientifically habits have three elements to them. If they have these three elements, it's a habit. The first is it has a trigger, something that sparks the habit. The second part is the experience itself, whatever that action is that you do. And the third thing is always a reward. Your brain processes some kind of reward. Now why this is important is because when you do something for the first time, let's say you go to Six Flags and you go on a roller coaster for the first time. They have studied the brain and when you have the trigger, meaning the moment you get on the, the, the roller coaster and you put your seatbelt on, there's a trigger. In your brain, there's a spike of activity in your brain. Then the, throughout the experience, your brain maintains that spike of activity. Until the reward, at the very end when you safely stop, that's the reward, again your brain has a spike, and that is how you experience something for the first time. But, when it's a habit, what they say is that when you first have a trigger, there's a spike. Then your brain kicks into autopilot. You're like brain dead. And throughout the experience, your brain is very, very little being used until the reward when your brain spikes again. This is how every single thing that you do as a habit gets formed. When you have a trigger, your brain will process there's a trigger. Then throughout the experience, you'll be on autopilot, and then the reward, you'll have another spike. Why is this important? Let me give you an example of a good habit. A good habit would be, for example, you want to read a book before sleeping. And you've done this enough times where now, the moment you get tired, the trigger kicks in. You want to go and read a book. So you lay down, you start reading a book. Throughout the reading of the book, your brain power will be very minimally used. You'll be an autopilot. Until the very end when you say, okay, now I need to sleep, your brain will kick into action and then you will go to sleep. What about a bad habit? Let's say you have to drink or you like to drink chai or tea or coffee early in the morning with your breakfast. 
So this, the first trigger would be what? It's breakfast time. So it will trigger. Your brain will have a spike. Now you begin to you eat your food. The moment you're drinking your chai, it's such a habit, your brain is on autopilot. Then at the very end, when you finish it, your brain has another spike, you're rewarded, you finish, it, you, you finish your chai, you finish your tea. Now why is this a bad habit? Because if you don't drink that tea that morning, what happens to many of us? Headache. Headache. Worst day ever, right? Some people are like, I cannot live today, I need my coffee. Right? Why? Because they have such a habit that they cannot break it. Other habits that are similar to these, that have become habits, is for example, pornography. It has a trigger. What is a trigger for pornography? Any image you see, whether it's a billboard, you're watching a show, Hazur has said this. Those are all triggers. The moment you see a scantily clad person, an image of a girl, for example, or a wealthy person for girls, whatever it may be, that trigger, the moment you see it, it triggers into your mind. Then what happens? Somebody will resort either to their phone, or to the TV, or whatever they can, to then start watching pornography. Now remember, throughout the experience of watching pornography, what happens? Your brain is on autopilot. This is why some people will watch pornography for 10 minutes, and some for hours, and they will not know what time it is. They will not be aware that they have wasted so much time. And what is the reward? There are different kinds of rewards. One could be masturbation, for example. Why I'm mentioning this is so that you understand these have become habits, they are bad habits, they are in our society today, and they're very easily accessible. This is why Islam says what? It doesn't say you can look at some, a beautiful girl and don't mind. Islam simply says lower your gaze, don't allow the trigger to be hit. If you don't allow the trigger, you will not have that experience, you will not have the, what you call a reward in your brain afterwards. Another Habit is lying. I'll give you an example. You're about to get in trouble. You did something bad. Trigger. Now they're asking, what did you do? Throughout that explanation, you're going to be lying, right? And in that explanation, you're not going to be using your brain power because you're on autopilot. And at the very end, they say, okay, fine. Sorry we bothered you. And they leave. That's the reward. This is why most of the time you will not remember what you said, because your brain was on autopilot. That's why you'll remember you got in trouble. You'll remember that you got safe from that trouble. You won't remember what you lied about, because your brain will be on autopilot. What this means is that we have to try our level best to establish good habits and remove bad ones. This is what the Quran says. He says, Ya bil Establish good habits and remove bad ones. And just to give you an illustration of how deep you should go, Hazrat Khalifatul Masisani, the second Khalifa of the Promised Messiah, he quotes in the book uh, Way of the Seekers, he says, Occasionally, I stop taking tea despite the fact that in our family, Tea is served as part of breakfast. I do this to avoid making it a habit. We should not form any such habit, intoxicants or no intoxicants. How many of us 
Tell yourself, don't raise your hand. Have the habit of drinking tea early in the morning before we go to work. I would assume most of us. But Azur says, don't even make this a habit. All habits are not good for you. In Islam, we stay away from such bad habits that become addictive. They have, they have addiction in nature. This brings us to the next topic, really briefly. It is about addictions themselves. What is the difference between an addiction and a habit? Um, uh, a habit that is, is like you do like um, you do mostly of the time, and it's like you get um, really into it, and you okay. always do it, and all, uh, you always like do. Okay. What about an addiction? What's an addiction? Addiction is like when you like get sucked into the. There we go. Good. All right. He gave a good definition. Very good definition. A habit can be good or bad, right? An addiction is only bad. An addiction is you're sucked in, just like he said. You have to do it excessively, more than you can control. And without it, you can't live. Your brain tells itself that this is a bad habit, but you need it. This is how an addiction works in our brains. Our brains are told this is bad for you, but you need it. It makes you feel good, so do it. Now, why is this a, a challenge? Because there are different kinds of addictions. Somebody is addicted to alcohol. He's an alcoholic. What does he do to get more, like to fulfill his need? He needs more of the same thing, right? One beer is not enough, so he will drink more. Similarly with people who smoke, cigarettes. One cigarette is not enough, they need more. And most substance abuses work the same way. You need more of the same thing. But, when you talk about pornography, for example, it has a unique difference of addiction. You need more of something different. This is why in the film industry, Hollywood produces around three to 400 movies a year. Bollywood produces about eight, 900 movies a year. While in pornography, there's around 11,000 movies produced every year. Why? Because people are not attracted to the same thing. They have to watch something different. They watch it twice, the same, same exact thing. They will not be attracted. They will not feel that buzz they would in other substance abuse. This is why Islam very simply says, and this is why Hazur in fact has said three things so far what I've discussed. Number one, don't let lying become an addiction to you. Number two, don't even let chai or tea become an addiction. And number three, Hazur even said, don't even let binge watching, especially shows like Game of Thrones or things that show very, very ridiculous scenery, scenes. Islam basically says that we should rewire our brain so we can understand the evil that it is causing to our mind, our body, and our soul. As you know that Hazur instructed about Facebook, let me just take you back to that just for a moment. Just like other commandments we've had, Facebook was there. And we know that by following Hazur's command, those of us who did, we benefited. Those who were 50-50, maybe not so much. Those who completely rejected it, what happened? They may have been, they, their data may have been uh, wasted here and there. And of course, including other things. What's interesting is that this last Friday, 
Hazur mentioned something that I can guarantee majority of our adults had no idea what it was. Hazur mentioned something called Fortnite. And what's amazing is our Hazur knows what it is, and many of us did have no idea what it was. Just imagine how in tune he is to what's going on in this world. While we had no idea that this was even going on, that there was even a game everybody's playing, well, he had an idea, not only an idea, he instructed us how we should follow it. Just to give you some facts about what Fortnite is and why, how is it so big? Why is Azur talking about Fortnite? Does anybody remember anything that was made similar to a Facebook? On the same exact, mimicking exactly the same thing. Snapchat? Snapchat, almost. What's something more similar to Facebook? It died, by the, by the way. MySpace, what else? There's another one. Google what? Google Plus. Everybody remember Google Plus? Some of us? It's completely dead. But it mimicked exactly the same thing. But why did Hazur not say Google Plus or MySpace? Because Facebook was this huge uh, factor behind everything. It had been so many users around the world, billions now, that it had become a problem. So Hazur identified it. Fortnite, let me give you some stats. Just last month, 40 million people played the game Fortnite. Right now, there are 125 million users of the, or players in the game Fortnite, majority of which are children. 125 million. There is a Fortnite World Cup that has been announced. The grand prize, $100 million. Just to give you an idea. Now, what is it? Okay, it's basically there's, I'll give you, there's a various versions. There's solo, but what is the most popular is called Battle Royale. What it is is, those of you who have played Halo or something else from the past, you would know that it puts you in a virtual world. So it puts you on a virtual island, basically. But in the previous games, they would be a small level or a time-based game. And you would have three or four people, maybe five people at the most, while you would have some computerized you know, bots in the game as well. But Fortnite Battle Royale basically has 100 different people around the world who will enter that same game at the same time. And the objective is everybody has to kill each other, and the last man standing, he wins. That's basically how it works. So those of you who have played it, have some idea. And before you, you know, the game although is free, you can download it, but you would need money to have different uniforms and skins and whatnot and different levels and so on and so forth. So there would be uh, an essence of money as well. It also doesn't have any blood or gore. Why? Because it needs to attract younger kids. So they try to keep it as clean as possible. Now, why is it a problem? Well, number one, WHO, World Health Organization, has officially deemed video game addiction as a real thing. Kids who are addicted to it, they have reported many places that they will steal their parents' credit card so that they can purchase some of these skins and various things. Okay? Uh, it's also played by girls, by the way. Don't think this is just boys-only game. There are rehabs that have been opened specifically for Fortnite addiction. Rehabs. And lastly, just last year, there were 200 divorces in the United Kingdom because of Fortnite addiction. 
Just imagine there are people who are literally leaving their families because they are so addicted to this game. It is because of these elements that Hazur has highlighted this problem. Many of us didn't even know that this problem existed. But why specifically, why this game? What is it about video games? Now what's interesting is after I did a little bit of research myself, what is known as a Skinner box, I've explained this to some people already, but basically it makes you go into this kind of virtual world like you are a lab rat. So what they do with lab rats is they would put them in a little box, they have a lever with three, three or four different lights and a reward system. So every time the rat would pull the lever, lights would flash and it would be rewarded some kind of food. And it would continuously engage with this lever. The more it engaged, the more it would be rewarded. Therefore, it would be just enjoying this kind of atmosphere. The same occurs in a video game. They say that a video game is very similar to the way somebody would be in a state of gambling. Very, very similar. It's kind of like a stepping stone. It is what you call behavioral conditioning. Where they condition you to behave a certain way within this kind of world. This imaginary world. And many of us knew this already. That our kids, especially if you're in Nazim Fall, or you were in, at Fall Ramadi in general, you'll notice many of our kids were so involved in video games, they didn't know how to go outside and play. Or if they did, they thought it was you know, very, very annoying or difficult. In fact, Hazur mentioned a very funny you know, scenario. He said, a mother told a child that you've been playing video games all day, go outside and play. So Hazur mentioned, he said, then the kid went outside, and then they show another picture where the kid is sitting outside with his video game. He said, I'm going to go play outside. Right? So to give you an idea of how addictive games were getting in general. So in this whole Skinner box, another element they found out was what is called a near-miss effect. Basically, those of you who have ever been to Atlantic City or Las Vegas, you'll know what a slot machine looks like. It has a lever, just like the lab rat would have. It has three things in front of you. Each time you pull the lever, each dial would spin to some, something different, whether it's an elephant or a strawberry or you know, a coin. And if you get all three to match, you win, right? So each time you pull the lever, all three will spin and then you will get three different images. And the more times that you got the same images, the more times you won. So each time you pull the lever, you just keep pulling it. And you will see people who will go on a Friday and they'll be there till Sunday, pulling this lever without sleeping. And so much so that by the end of it, they don't have enough money to pay for a bus ride home. They went with their life savings. They don't have enough money to go in a bus ride home. So what they did was they tested these rats and what is a near miss? A near miss would be, instead of three identical items, like three strawberries, you'll get two strawberries and an elephant. You almost got three. They said that lab rats, whenever they would have a near miss, their brains would process it as a victory. They were happy. And they would pull the lever again as if they won, even though they were not rewarded anything. And they say the same effect happens to humans. That in this battle royale game, for example, if you have 100 people playing, how many are going to win? One. 99 of them are going to lose, right? And majority of them are going to have a near-miss experience. They're almost there. They were the 30th guy or the 40th guy 
or even the 99th guy, but you didn't win. So what that did was that affects the brain to think that you won, so you play again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and you become addicted. So the basic premise of these games is to get you to be addicted. The more addicted you are, the more money you'll invest in it, the more money they will make. In the past, when they would produce a game, they would charge $50 for you to buy a game. Even now, most games, if you buy, right, they're about $50 to $60. This game is free. And yet it's not free. There are people who invest hundreds, if not thousands of dollars into the same game for the same experience. Why? Because they have re re revamped the way that they make money out of the game. You want to be cooler in the game? Here. You want a better gun in the game? Here, right? These are different ways of how they would invest more money into a game. They're, all the games are now going towards this kind of platform. Now, what Hazur is basically telling us, don't become rats, don't become monkeys, free yourself from this behavioral condition. And if this game has become so big, it is conquering so many brains and taking over so many people, it's so overwhelming that it's better for us to stay away from it altogether. And then you will see the benefit in the long run. And this is why Hazur is instructed. And to, to give you some positive note, our children are absolutely amazing. One child emailed me or messaged me. He said, Imam said, is this what Hazur said? I replied, yes. His next message was, I already deleted it. Imagine a 12, 13 year old. Those of us who are a bit older who had games back in the day. Imagine somebody tells you, Gulli Danda, you can't play anymore huh? when you were young. How's this up? You'll be shocked, right? Actually, I never went to this when Hazur first time. Ji. I never went to any of these. Alhamdulillah. Games. Good, Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Today's time, it's very interesting. So, one of my very old relatives, she elderly, she used to tell me, your father sacrificed so much, right, to go to Jamia. And you did nothing. Just as, you know, as, a, 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 as she would just tell me, oh, you did nothing, he did so much. So my mother said, listen, today's day and age, the children have to sacrifice their phone, their laptop, all this advancement. He said, what did his father have? He had nothing. It was easy to go, just as a joke, you know. So, but alhamdulillah, at this point in time, there are kids who are sacrificing when they have every reason not to. Another kid, I was at a, a fall class, or a class, I just talked about it, and he raised his hand and said, Imam, so I just deleted it. Hey, imagine the willpower to be able to do that. So, why I'm mentioning this is because as adults, I intentionally did not mention only one addiction, and that is Fortnite. We all have various addictions that we have. Yes, there is a difference. There is a clear difference. One makes us into lab rats and monkeys. So Hazura said, completely stay away. And similarly, Facebook is also very dangerous. So Hazura said, stay away. But there are other smaller ones that we also have to be careful. Because Islam wants you to be free from all kinds of addiction. You need moderation. Moderation is the key. This is why even when it comes to drinking chai in the morning, Islam says, try to break the habit every once in a while so that you don't have that headache during the day. Hazrat al-Muslim mentions what kind of willpower you need to break habits. 
He says he gave an example of an excellent European orator, somebody who used to speak very well, whose lectures tended to lose their impact because of his habit of making strong gestures of shrugging his shoulders. So he was an amazing speaker, but in the middle of a speech he would do this. He would shrug his shoulders. He just had a habit. What could he do? To break this habit, he went to extreme measures. Whenever he would practice, he had two swords suspended from the ceiling so that the tip would come right up to his shoulder. He said each time he would make the mistake of shrugging his shoulder, guess what? He said by this way he removed this habit. So as a Muslim, says that this is the point. That you have to go to extreme levels sometimes to break habits. And you should do that. Just like I gave you an example of Khalifatul Masih Khamis, Ayyidah al who mentioned in 2013. He said, people accept our jamaat having forsaken their families, even their wives and children. But they find it hard to give up the habit of smoking. Hazur added, he said, God commands to advice. And even if there is an iota of faith in someone, advice will work. So we have to try to take on this advice and work hard. The last thing I will tell you that if we maintain bad habits, if we keep them, they will take us to a point when we don't want to be in a place and that is how we have to avoid. We have to step back and realize. An example Hazur gave, I'll read it to you straight from the, 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 the text. He says, smokers who came to Qadian, they were deprived of a number of benefits. In the early days, one of our relatives who was a sworn enemy of the promised Messiah he used to mislead new visitors. He would make seating arrangements in the compound and invitingly place hookahs or smoking pipes for free use. Visitors attracted by the pipes would drift towards him, whom he tried to lead astray to his heart's content. He would emphasize that he was a close relative of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad and was fully cognizant of the true position. He would say, had there been any truth to his claim, I would certainly have accepted him as the promised Messiah. Thus, many were deceived. Then he says, once an Ahmadi visited Qadiyan and went to the gentleman to have a smoke. The gentleman availed himself of this opportunity to malign the promised Messiah to his heart's content. So he started speaking against the promised Messiah, telling this, this man. But the man didn't respond. So he got even more angry, this old man. So he started saying even worse things with all this passion. Again, the man didn't say anything. Then he lost his temper and he challenged you, said to the visitor, why? What are you thinking? Why don't you speak? The visitor replied, I am thinking that the dirty habit of smoking has been responsible for my coming to a man like you. Had I not been a smoker, I would not have come here and suffered the insults of hearing the promised Messiah being reviled. This is what Hazrat Muslim explained. That we have to try our level best to understand. Sometimes we have bad habits that will take us to bad places. So to avoid going to those bad places, we need to get rid of the bad habit itself. And this goes for many things. It goes for all the things I have explained already. As adults, for example, Hazura said, break your bad habits, such as binge watching shows that are inappropriate, drinking chai in excess, lying, or backbiting. May Allah help us to do so. Amen.
You've been listening to the MKA Vibe by Majlis Qudam al USA, America's oldest and largest Muslim male youth organization. Subscribe to get more of our weekly recap of the latest in Friday sermons, speeches, lessons from our respected imams and wisdom from different sources. Tweet us your ideas and thoughts at Muslim Youth USA. Hum sambhalenge.